0: We're in the middle of the longest shutdown of the federal government in history. The Boy Scouts of America is no more. A new book details the science behind marijuana's dangerous health risks. California Governor Gavin Newsom is giving away free stuff. And Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg is missing. We're going to talk about all of that and more here on the American Culture Podcast. Episode 9 of the American Culture Podcast. I am Earl B., the creator and host of this podcast, and today I have five current topics to discuss with you that are shaping American culture. The topics include what's really going on with the federal government shutdown, the death as we know it of the Boy Scouts of America, more news on how poorly we understand the threat posed by increased marijuana use, New California Governor Gavin Newsom can apparently spin straw into gold. And Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's health. I'm so glad you have taken the time to join us. Now, let's jump into our five stories for this episode. Story one is the shutdown. As I record this, it's late on Friday, January 11th. In a few hours, This partial shutdown of the federal government will become the longest period of lapsed federal funding in history, eclipsing the previous period of 21 days in December of 1995 under President Bill Clinton. The ongoing shutdown directly impacts 15 federal agencies and dozens of smaller agencies. Today would normally have been payday for federal employees. But approximately 800,000 civil servants did not get their expected paychecks today. More than 420,000 federal employees are working without pay, including agents from the FBI, the ATF, the DEA, the Customs and Border Protection, as well as staff from the State Department, the Coast Guard, the IRS, and the Department of Homeland Security. Another 380,000 workers have been furloughed from departments including NASA, the State Department, the National Park Service, the Forest Service, the Transportation Department, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, as well as the IRS. Why are all of these folks not getting paid? Well, because President Donald Trump wants $5 billion from Congress to build a wall or a fence to fight illegal crossings at our southern border. And the Democrats in Congress would rather leave 25% of the federal government unfunded and closed than give Donald Trump a single penny to build the wall that he has promised he would build since he started his campaign for the presidency. Last Tuesday evening, three nights ago, the president gave a live address to the nation from the Oval Office. The first time, I believe, that he has given such an address. And on Tuesday, he explained the crisis at the border with Mexico and why he feels it is vital that Congress improve funding for additional border security. It won't surprise any of you to know that I agree with President Trump that our nation's borders should be secure. And if it takes a wall to accomplish that, so be it. If you haven't already heard it, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode two of the American Culture Podcast, which is titled The Wall to hear my full explanation of why I feel secure borders are absolutely necessary to preserve the values and the culture of America. Because I've already devoted an entire, so, entire episode to the topic, I'm not going to repeat it today. Now, in response to the president, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, Speaker of the House and Majority Leader of the Senate, came out of their embalming fluid to declare that Democrats believed the wall would be, quote, too expensive and ineffective. Let's break that down a little bit, shall we? Too expensive, say the Democrats. In the context of the federal budget, when have Democrats ever seen an expenditure they didn't like? Foreign aid expenditures, national defense budgets, TSA and Border Patrol and ICE, Obamacare, Social Security and welfare, shovel ready infrastructure projects, Solyndra, which was worth $500 million, $1.7 billion in cash on pallets given over to the Iranians by President Obama. When you crunch just a few numbers, you learn that $5 billion, which is a lot of money to you know, any normal human being, but $5 billion is a fraction of our annual federal budget deficit. It is one half of 1% of the projected fiscal year 2019 federal deficit, which is expected to be $985 billion. It is one tenth of 1% Of the projected fiscal year 2019 federal budget of $4.4 trillion. And $5 billion is even significantly less money than Congress had approved for improved border security infrastructure when it voted in favor of a wall in 2006 and in 2013. That's right, Congress approved funding of a longer wall at the border back in 2006. It was called the Secure Fence Act of 2006. and had broad bipartisan support in Congress. In the Senate, Dianne Feinstein voted for it. Chuck Schumer voted for it. Then-Senator Joe Biden voted for it. Then-Senator Hillary Clinton voted for it. Harry Reid voted for it. And then-Senator Barack Obama voted for it the Secure Fence Act of 2006. Unfortunately, Senator Obama went on to become President Obama, and under President Obama, 95% of the fence that was approved by the Secure Fence Act of 2006 was never built, using a loophole in the law which permitted the president to use his discretion over how much fence was really necessary. So Congress passed a law Authorizing and appropriating the money for the building of a secure border fence. And then President Obama chose not to actually build it. And nobody called him on it until Donald Trump showed up. So that's the that's the too expensive argument. What about the ineffective argument? Is that really of concern of the Democrats that if we build this wall with this five billion dollars with this one tenth of one percent of the federal budget? if we'd spent that money, that it wouldn't work. Of course not. Their real concern is that they know a wall will work if it ever gets built. The wall works to massively reduce illegal border crossings where it has already been installed. Jim Acosta of CNN hilariously made this point recently in his quote-unquote reporting from the border. Standing next to a huge impregnable section of the border fence, the existing border fence, Jim Acosta declared, I don't see any crisis at the border here. Well, no, Jim, you don't see a crisis at the border there because there's a wall there. As has been reported in some places, the general effectiveness of walls or fences has been clearly demonstrated in places as diverse as Hungary and Israel in just the past few years. Truly, if the Democrats thought a wall wouldn't work, why would they care? Spend the $5 billion. Good jobs program. Again, they've never met an expenditure they didn't like, and then they can go back to their constituents and say, hey, we authorized a wall for improved border security. And still, all these undocumented immigrants can can flood into the country. Now, they know that a wall would work. An additional point on effectiveness here. It is true that a fence won't be 100% effective. It's not magic. You know, tunnels can be built by, you know, well-financed and determined criminal organizations, you know, on the Mexican side of the border. Uh, ladders, I guess, could work in some places. Uh, the fence could be cut through by saws in some places. Uh, so you're not going to have 100% effectiveness. and But yet that's the argument they make. Oh, if it's not going to be 100% effective, then, then we shouldn't do it. Of course, you could turn around and apply that same argument to birth control, right? If condoms and birth control pills aren't 100% effective, then we shouldn't use those, right? We should use abstinence because the only birth control method that's 100% effective is abstinence. But when conservatives, Christian conservatives in particular, pressed our public schools to teach abstinence as part of the sexual education programs, everybody laughed. Well, it can't be trusted. Abstinence doesn't work. As Rush Limbaugh used to say all the time, it works 100% of the time that it's tried. Okay? Yeah, condoms aren't 100% effective. The birth control pill is not 100% effective. Even abortions, scarily enough, aren't 100% effective. Yet, we still use those as primary means of birth control because they, although not being 100% effective, are very effective overall as a wall would be Uh, to prevent or at least massively reduce the numbers of illegal border crossers. The American people, whether they agree with Trump's position on immigration or not, they're smart enough to see through Chuck and Nancy's lies. The people know that however pure or base his motives, the president does sincerely believe that a wall needs to be built. And the people know whether they agree with the Dems or not on immigration policy that the Democrats in Congress are lying through their teeth when they say that the wall costs too much and that it wouldn't work. The truth is, as strange as it is to believe, that the Democrats want free transit of our borders by whoever happens to show up there. Poor women and children, MS-13 gang members, human traffickers, drug smugglers, Islamic jihadists, They don't care who shows up as long as most of them can be counted on to register and vote as Democrats as soon as possible. And while there are some folks on the fringe left who want to erase America's borders, most Americans don't really want that. Most Americans want liberal, liberal but orderly and regulated immigration policies as we have had for most of our history, which brings me back to the 800,000 federal workers who didn't get paid today, and who have no idea when their next paycheck will come. As they sit at home, hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst, it must be hard for them to know that their representatives in Congress are placing the interests of Mexican drug smugglers and human traffickers ahead of their interests as law-abiding, tax-paying, hard-working civil servants. It is more important to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to score a cheap political point against Donald Trump than it is for them to reopen the government, get its employees back to work, and get them their paychecks. To all of those federal workers out there, I thank you for your service. Another point I want to make about uh, this, this issue of the wall, Nancy Pelosi has stated on more than one occasion She stated that building a border wall is immoral, which is a real head-scratcher. It's hard to understand such a statement from her without amplification, and she doesn't amplify on it. Under what definition of moral? What is she talking about? What framework is she operating in? Most of us, when we hear immoral, we we review that from our perceptions of Western Judeo-Christian morality, you know, What's moral in our tradition? But it doesn't really fit. How does a wall, a, a wall is not moral one way or the other. I suppose if people were being eaten by alligators on the other side of the border and we put up a wall so that people couldn't escape death, you know, from alligators or, or actual Nazis or something, I suppose you could make an argument for, for a morality perspective from a Judeo-Christian angle. But that doesn't apply here. These are people just who want to come into our country uh, without abiding by our laws on coming to our country. They want to come in under their own terms and not under the terms that our Congress and our populace have set forth for coming here. Um, There's no moral dimension to it, really, to preventing them and forcing them to stand in line, fill out the forms, wait their turn. No, no. The use of the word immoral doesn't really fit in our, in our normal lexicon, but what's happening here is Nancy is using a leftist's squishy definition of moral. And for a lefty, for a progressive, for a collectivist, the word moral means whatever helps out their leftist cause. Lying, cheating, stealing is all moral if it helps their cause because their progressive, collectivist cause is, to them, the highest moral purpose. It reminds me of the newspaper Pravda in the old USSR. Pravda translated from the Russian means truth. But all Russians who read Pravda, under the communists, and probably today, knew that the truth included in that paper, under the communists, was only the truth as seen by the state and the communist party one always has to remember that folks on the hard left have a very difficult time with objective truth. They don't like math. They don't like real reproducible science. They don't like objective biology. They want the truth to be whatever feels like the truth to them at any given moment. And they want morality to be whatever feels moral to them at any given moment. New Congresswoman, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, AOC, uh, said something that supports this very recently. She she was interviewed, I believe it was on 60 Minutes, and when the, the interviewer challenged her on some of her facts, she said she made a statement which was perfect for this discussion. She said, "Yeah, you know, you're you're being picky with me about the facts, and I may not be factually correct, but I'm morally correct. And, that, and that's the old Dan, rather fake but true." Uh, standard of news reporting. You know, if it fits their narrative, if it's their their moral framework, which is different than our moral framework, then it's quote-unquote truth to them. So that's Nancy Pelosi's vision of, of morality. And the last point I want to make on the wall today before we move move ahead is the, is the national emergency option. The president has stated more than once in some presidential supporters are urging him to declare a national emergency and use his pre-existing presidential authority under his emergency powers to reallocate existing funds to build the wall. And while I think under the law he would be justified in, in doing so, the problem that that creates is it would only take a single federal judge somewhere in America, probably right here in California, to issue an injunction to say, That use of your presidential power is illegitimate for some reason that the judge would make up. Therefore, I am issuing an injunction and joining you from reprogramming funds and using your presidential emergency powers to build the wall. And that would precipitate a true constitutional crisis. And we know this would happen because the president has tried to use his unilateral, clear presidential authority in other aspects of immigration control. Just merely letting the Obama executive order on the dreamers, just letting it expire by its own terms. Federal courts have found you can't do that. He has to go back and say, okay, even though the executive order says by its own terms, it's going to be expiring. You can't let it expire. You must extend it. These federal judges are, you know, we have you know, 500 federal judges out there who think they can substitute their own judgment for that of the president of the United States on whatever topic is brought before them. So one judge issues an injunction and now the president is in a heck of a spot. He either has to obey the injunction and try and appeal this thing to the Supreme Court, which it would take a few months probably to to do, and hope that the Supreme Court would back him, which they should and I believe they would, okay? But then it would go back and he'd do something else and another court would enjoin it. So he's, he's faced with the decision of either stopping construction and listening to some federal court or saying, you know what, federal court, we're co-equal branches of government. I, as president, have every right to interpret the Constitution and my powers under the Constitution as you do, and my interpretation is I can do this and you can go pound sand, which would lead to a finding that the president of the United States of America is in contempt of court, okay, And that would precipitate this constitutional crisis I'm talking about. And it would give the Democrats in the Congress every excuse to to begin impeachment proceedings because they would say in contempt of court, that's a high crime and misdemeanor. He's a lawless rogue. We have to rein him in. And enough people would sign on to that that it would create real problems for the president. So he, he can't, in my view, go down the road of declaring an emergency and unilaterally trying to build this wall. He needs Congress to approve it and that's why this government remains closed because he knows this is his last chance probably to get to win this battle and get this wall funded or at least some portion of it funded to demonstrate to the american people that he's kept his promise on controlling immigration the promise he's been making since he started to campaign for the presidency he has to keep that promise to his supporters or he has to at the very least be seen to be fighting as much as he humanly can to keep that promise. Ultimately, if he can't keep the promise, but he can clearly make the case that he did everything he could within his powers to keep that promise, but was only stymied by the Congress, I think I think the electorate would, would forgive him and give him a little bit of a pass on the fact that he didn't get the wall built. but he can't cave. He can't cave quickly if he caves it'll have to come after a lot of pain so the president he's fighting for his re-election life right here you know in january 2019 because uh, if he loses this battle he may well lose his re-election campaign and, so if he, and if he wins this battle he has every chance to win re-election in 2020 so that's what the, that's what the stakes are the democrats are trying frankly they're they're beginning the 2020 presidential campaign right now And they feel like if they can beat the president on this fight, they can win the 2020 campaign or have a huge leg up in the 2020 campaign because they can paint him as being ineffective and uh, demoralize his base. So that's the national emergency option and how it plays out. The second story I want to talk about today is the the Boy Scouts of America. And this is a story that... um, I first saw, it was an article at Reason.com by Dr. Alfred Kentigern sewers S-I-E-W-E-R-S. And uh, in that article, Dr. Sewers notes that uh, the Boy Scouts of America, which no longer goes as the Boy Scouts of America. Let me adjust my papers here. Shuffle some things around. The Boy Scouts of America, which now operates as an entity known as Scouts BSA. They're on the brink of declaring bankruptcy, according to recent news reports. And the author of this article, you know, it's entitled "The Boy Scouts Bankruptcy is not just financial; it's moral." And he goes into some detail, uh, lamenting the the decline of the Scouts' uh, moral uh, underpinnings. Um, and he's right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into great detail. Under under under, uh, lining, the changes that have happened to the, to the scouts, but let's it's suffice it to say that the moral basis on Palm, which much of Boy Scouting was has been based for a hundred years or more, uh, has been largely lost. You know the, there was a large religious, largely Christian, although not incompatible with with Judaism and so and other religions duty to God, duty to country element to scouting, which has been a t- under attack for decades now. And uh, homosexuals fought to get into scouting and undermine the the scout oath and the, the scouting precepts to have strong moral character um, to follow your faith. The Women have been suing the scouts to, to gain entry into scouts and to, tear down the the scouting uh, precepts to try and mold young boys into men. And there were a lot of, um, a lot of the cultural precepts of scouting have been under attack for a long time. And they have basically, uh, have killed it. They've killed the boy scouts and, uh, at the new jamboree, the, the national jamboree, or I think it's the international jamboree that's going to happen next year in West Virginia. Um, uh, the scouts are going to make available to the attendees at the Jamboree condoms. And these are, we're talking about young boys here. Okay. 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, and they're going to make condoms available to them. And one of the precepts of scouting for years has been, you know, really to be agnostic on sexuality. You know, the homosexuals, um, attacking scouting and trying to get into scouting. We're trying to make scouting out as being anti-homosexuals, and that wasn't the case. Really, scouting is agnostic on it. They deferred all discussions of sexual morality to the child's religion, whatever their their, their church taught, Catholic, Episcopalian, other non-denominational Christian church, Jewish tradition, whatever it was. They encouraged you to follow your religion's teachings, on sexuality, which for most of scouting's history has been rather conservative, of course, saving sexual relations for marriage. And so the views of the scouts have generally been sexual relations are for married couples to engage in, not unmarried young men and certainly not unmarried young boys. But, you know, that those teachings have been under attack. Uh, Homosexuals forced their way into scouting. Um, Then the anti-religious people got in there and they've undermined all precepts of scouting that uh, held a belief in God was important, held that duty to God was important. Scouts were forced to accept members who expressed a belief that there is no God, which is contrary to what the scouts have believed forever. And if you want to have a different, scouting organization that doesn't believe in God and doesn't believe in uh, being chased sexually until you're married, then go found your own club for young men and young boys. But don't force your way into this established club and then change every single thing about it. Don't de- You can't demand to be in the club and then come in and change every single thing about it. And that's the shame of it. And, and it's not just the scouts. It's not just the Boy Scouts. We've seen uh, many other civic institutions under attack for years. Um, The fraternal uh, men's organizations well-known in our communities, the Lions Clubs, the Elks Clubs, the Kiwanis, the Rotary, um, these were all men's clubs until litigation, lawsuits, you know, forced them to open their doors to women. And, uh, you know, no one's, out to hurt women but there was a there's a social purpose to be had to be furthered by fraternity among boys in the case of the scouts and fraternity among men in the case of these civic fraternal organizations and you know the women i guess in some respect uh, benefit from being allowed to be in in the organizations even though most of these men's organizations have had women's auxiliaries for years and everybody got along great and did service projects jointly forever and ever and ever, but the women through litigation forced their way in, and it's basically among other factors certainly, but it's basically killed off these clubs because it took away the distinction and the, the distinctiveness of those organizations. It was, you know, why why join a club that everybody can join? You know, if if, if you're if it's a club that has some rules about who can join, then you can go and you can feel good about being included. But if there's nobody, you know, who isn't included, nobody who can't join, you know, you lose you lose the, uh, the special nature of that. And these clubs have been attacked, you know, for being all male because being a male is a major sin to, in today's politically correct culture. We can't have men associating with each other. You know, you can't, they can't be, religious, you know, all of these cultural norms that have served us well for, for decades, if not centuries are constantly under attack. And, uh, so the clubs, the the elk, the lions, the Kiwanis, the rotary. So even after forced to admit being forced to admit women and thus theoretically doubling the pool of potential candidates for membership, the membership in all of these organizations has been plunging um for 30 40 50 years and even rules saying that women can be admitted hasn't stemmed the tide and and these clubs have basically become irrelevant in civic uh life today uh chapters of the clubs are all closing and consolidating and going out of business Elks lodges and moose lodges and odd fellows lodges sit vacant and unused and s- many cities and towns across America. There was recently an incident showing the the, the attacks continuing. Two sitting U.S. Senators, Mazie Hirono of Hawaii and Kamala Harris of California, recently sharply questioned judicial nominee Brian Boucher, and I hope I haven't mispronounced his name, about his membership in the Knights of Columbus, which is a fraternal service organization for Catholic men. The two senators insisted, insofar as they have the right to insist upon anything, that Boucher drop his membership in the Knights of Columbus, clearly insinuating that a Catholic man who actually lives his faith is not really qualified, in their eyes, to be a federal judge. So the left has been going about their business of destroying our civic culture, destroying our belief in God, in the Ten Commandments, in the Boy Scout Oath, and in the Scout Law to replace it with what, I ask? You know, you're going to tear all of these things down. You're going to tear all these rules by which we've lived, these principles that we've held dear. What are you going to replace it with? Who are you going to replace it with? And what should we put our faith and our allegiance in the Constitution of the United States? Of course not. The left doesn't believe in our Constitution. In the Declaration of Independence, no. No, of course not. Not the Declaration of Independence. We can't have that. The Declaration puts God first and man second and governments instituted among men third. And the leftists put governments first, men second, and God nowhere. So they're they're not going to advise that we adopt the Declaration of Independence as our guide star What are the core principles of leftist collectivism? From each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs? Perhaps. Are we to believe only in the power of the U.S. government? Are we to believe in the power and an all-powerful, all-knowing president of the United States? You know, wherever leftism takes hold, it seems that totalitarianism emerges built around an infallible leader. Lenin, Stalin... Putin, Mao, Castro. Was Barack Obama that figure for our modern left? Was Hillary supposed to replace him in the minds of the leftists as our all powerful leader? Is that why the left has been so shaken by Trump? Because they are without their deity president? I think there may be something to that. But I want to circle back from the general campaign against our cultural institutions by those on the left to the back to the boy scouts and i'm going to grab something that i that i found today for you online and it's a 1967 version of the boy scouts handbook it's a wonderful uh, publication <laughs> and i want to go through it with you a little bit to show you the types of things that scouting thought it was important for young boys to learn in order to become good citizens, husbands, fathers, and men of the community, you know? And when you go through it, I think you're gonna see why we're gonna miss the Boy Scouts as we knew it. But I also think you're gonna see why those on the left have been so adamant about trying to destroy this institution. You look at the table of contents of the handbook and you see uh, a section entitled Starting on the Trail to Tenderfoot. Okay. And there's a whole section in there, about 10 pages long, on our country's flag. They teach the scouts at the first level all about the history of the flag, the rules governing respect for the flag, care for the flag. They learn to to love and respect the flag of of the United States of America and all that it stands for. And when you think about recent controversies about people who refuse to to stand for the flag, stand for the national anthem, people want to trample on the flag and abuse it. um, Anybody who you know who's been a scout, who grew up in scouting, I think you can understand the strong reaction because they learn from a young age how important it is to respect the flag and revere what it stands for. And you're not revering a piece of cloth as some would have it. You're revering the principles upon which our nation was founded, which are the symbols that the flag stands for. And that's a very important initial principle that scouting has stood for. There's another thing in here, another section, again, on the trail to tenderfoot. So it's one of the earliest things they're taught on protecting the outdoors you know, scouts were some of the original environmentalists. Scouts, campers, outdoorsmen, hunters, fishermen, they're the original outdoorsmen and they truly love Mother Nature and are taught from an early age to respect and protect it. But that's not the leftist, you know, environmentalism that we know today, that of man-made global warming and whatever other, you know, fancy new ideas come down the pike. True environmentalism, isn't what, what they're all about. They have their own brand and they don't want you and your head filled with this crazy uh, outdoorsman stuff. Now as you move up and you, you're gonna go on to your second class uh, level in the scouts, you're gonna learn emergency preparation, which is good for you know self-sufficiency, good citizen stuff. As you move up to first class, you're gonna learn about mapping and orientation. The stars in the sky, you're gonna learn how to go swimming You're going to learn to be prepared for accidents, which is all about first aid. This is all wonderful stuff. And as you move on the scouting trail to citizenship, you learn about your duty to God, your duty to country. You learn about obeying the scout law, about helping other people, about being physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. And I think if you have, if you're a parent of a, of a young boy, this sounds pretty appealing because you're looking for guidance. Who as a parent out there is not looking for something to hang your hat on? You know, what do you teach this young, as Rush Limbaugh used to put it, skull full of mush? You know, this young impressionable, moldable person. You're responsible for raising and teaching. What do you teach them? And that's when I go back to they're tearing everything down. They're going to tear down our religion they're going to tear down our institutions. They're going to tear down all of our cultural norms. And what are they going to replace it with? What do they offer in its stead? And as near as I can tell, they don't offer anything, which is to, which leaves people drifting. And I think a lot of the dissatisfaction we see among our youth, a lot of the confusion we see among our youth is because there's no firm, firm uh, guidance out there on how they should live their lives. Anything goes. Whatever pops into your head, whatever feels good at a moment, um, that's that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to go with. Just go with your gut. Whereas scouting offers to young boys, young girls in the Girl Scouts um, and parents something to grasp onto as how to teach their boys in an engaging way, in a way that can capture their interest, in a way that, that can carry some meaning to them. You know, what, what, are, what are the scouts taught? They're, they're taught, here's the scout oath, you know, as it existed before um, political correctness got a hold of it. The scout oath, on my honor, I will do my best to do my duty to God and my country and to obey the scout law. I, to help other people at all times, to keep myself physically strong, mentally awake and morally straight straightforward, I think sentiments we could all agree with, but you could see why the left would be driven insane by this because God features prominently. Patriotism. Now, the left hates the patriotism that uh, Trump supporters generally hold. People, The the old Tea Party from a few years back was strong in patriotism. Conservatives generally are very high in in patriotism and nationalism, and it drives the left batty because they're internationalists. They want, a, they want a one world order. They want the United Nations or some successor to the United Nations to govern all of us and tell us what to do. They want unelected bureaucrats, much like those that operate the EU, to work secretly behind the scenes, making all the rules without any accountability um, to, the, to the populace. So there's a lot of things in here that are dangerous, but I think we can agree, can't we, that to teach a young man to be helpful to other people at all times is a good thing, to be physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. Who can object to that? Of course, morally straight, there are a lot of people that object to that, and that's why they've been attacking scouting forever. And then quickly, because I've already spent too much time on it, but I want to go through the Boy Scout law. And there are, I think, 12 precepts of the Boy Scout law a scout is trustworthy, a scout is loyal, a scout is helpful, a scout is friendly, a scout is courteous, he is kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And there's sections of the the handbook that go into each of these principles and expands upon them for Um, parents and for the the kids. And in the section on reverence, which again has a religious aspect to it, it has some historical background, but it says in the concluding paragraph on the section on reverence, all your life you will be associated with people of different faiths. In America, we believe in religious freedom. That is why we respect others whose religion may differ from ours. Although for reason of conscience, We do not agree with them. Their customs may be different from ours, but their hearts are just as true, their faith just as sincere. So that's this, you know, that's the uh, poison that uh, the Boy Scouts of America was feeding our youth, you know, up until recently. The scout motto, of course, is to be prepared, which is fantastic uh, guidance and the scout slogan is to do a good turn daily so that's that's scouting and uh, you know I'm going to miss scouting i want to share a couple of stories about it you know after we've having gone through the handbook and t- and gone through the the precepts of of the scouting i have my own theories about the benefits that scouting offers. And I've, I used to be, I was for a brief time, a scout master. I was a Cub Scout as a child. I was a Boy Scout for a short period of time. My mom was a den mother. Uh, my wife has been a den mother. And my son was a, was a Cub Scout. And uh, as a scout leader, I, I had a chance to speak to, to parents who uh, were considering having their kids sign up uh, for the Cub Scout pack that I led. And I used to tell those parents that, you know, having your child in scouting offers many wonderful experiences and lessons for your son, but it also has the very important but hidden benefit of providing a structured and disciplined program through which you will spend more meaningful time with your child. Because your young scout, in this case, Cub Scouts, because they will need help and guidance they'll need your encouragement your mentoring they'll need you to model good behaviors he'll need help with his uniform he'll need help learning his cub scout promise he'll need help earning his badges building a pinewood derby car going camping and a couple of stories there's some of our fondest memories of our sons you know as a little boy our scouting stories um we had a chance to go camping with the scouts once at a place called lost Valley here in Southern California, out in the, in the rural areas, wonderful little hidden Valley way down at the end of a long dirt road that the scouts own, where you go out and spend several days at a time camping in a tent, cooking your own food over a campfire, learning to shoot a BB gun, shooting a bow and arrow, going through obstacle courses, making crafts, swimming, swimming, all the stuff that's stereotypical to Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts. And my son and I had a chance to go to Lost Valley for a weekend and he had a ball. You know, he's Luke's, our son has always been an outdoorsy kid and um, he was in his element out there with his little hatchet trying to chop wood and shooting a BB gun and climbing trees and, you know, hiking in the woods. He just loved it. And, he was a little a little Cub Scout then, probably seven or eight years old at the most. And uh, on the last night of our weekend at uh, Lost Valley, there was a big campfire, big roaring bonfire. All of the people at the camp at the, for the weekend were there, gathered around, and some of the old timers from way back in the day, the early days of the camp, you know, were telling stories about you know when they were a boy or when they were a young scout coming out to Lost Valley, and it was all very moving and and so forth. And I, I looked over at one point and my son had tears running down his face and I was stunned. Why, why are you crying son? And he was crying because the weekend was almost over. It had been so wonderful to be out a weekend out in the woods with his dad doing all these wonderful things. And last bonfire signified that it was almost over and he was going to have to go back to his regular life and he was going to miss it because he loved it so much. And it was so touching to, to see that from him. The second story I like to tell is, is the Pinewood Derby story. If you're not familiar with the Pinewood Derby, it's uh, scouts, usually with a lot of help from dad, uh, making a race car out of a little block of wood I don't know, six or seven inches long, a couple of inches wide. And then you have a big meeting with a neat track and you race the cars down these little tracks and it's a tournament style and, you know, the winners get a trophy and it's all very exciting and very fun and very competitive. There's a lot that goes into making these cars and trying to engineer them so that they're faster and sleeker and, and more aerodynamic and that the axles have as little friction as possible and so on and so forth. And, Again, I had a you know very young Cub Scout and we worked hard on, on building his Pinewood Derby car. And darn, if he didn't win the tournament, he won the race. And it, it was so exciting. It was, it was probably the first time in his young boy life that he had ever won something so significant. He was so excited. His friends actually carried him out of the gym that day on their shoulders. He was truly king for a day. And that that excitement and that exhilaration came to him because of the Boy Scouts. And now the left, you know, they're, they're killing that all in the sake of political correctness, all for progressivism, whatever Twitter decides that means today, all as part of their campaign to destroy America's most important cultural institutions. I am going to miss the Boy Scouts, and eventually America is going to miss them too. The third story today, and I—I I know I've hit on this before, but there's a new book out. I saw this piece in uh, on the American Conservative website. It's called theamericanconservative.com. And let's grab the right papers for that one here, so I don't want to get it wrong. There's a new book out on the dangers of, of marijuana. And I think I've hit this before on a recent podcast. So I'm going to only do it very quickly here. The book is called tell your children and it's by former New York times reporter, Alex Berenson. And it's making a lot of waves out there. So if if you're interested in this topic, I would encourage you to go get the book, tell your children by Alex Berenson, B E R E N S O N. And as I think I've touched on before the book highlights, um, And it makes a convincing case that a recreational drug, marijuana, targeted as an all-around health product, may in fact be really dangerous, especially for people with a family history of mental illness and for adolescents with developing brains. People who used cannabis at age 15 were more than four times as likely to develop schizophrenia or a related syndrome as those who had never used marijuana. It is believed marijuana could be responsible for as much as 10% of psychosis in places where heavy use is common. There's significant evidence that pot can beat can exacerbate bipolar disorder and increase the risk of suicide, depression, and social anxiety disorders. The higher the use, the greater the risk. And I'm a libertarian at heart. You know, I, you know, I believe responsible adults can, can do what they will as long as I don't have to pay for it and I don't have to pay for the health care that comes from your irresponsible behavior, as long as you're willing to cover your own costs of your own irresponsible behavior, you know, knock yourselves out. But I'm very fearful that the legalization of marijuana in in state after state after state is going to lead to widespread recreational marijuana use. And it's going to lead to increased use by kids. And it's the kids I worry about because, it's becoming clear from the medical research that teenagers and, and children should not be using marijuana because it has a negative, significant negative impact upon the development of their brains and could lead to some very real problems downstream. So if this is a topic that's of interest to you, I, I, uh, I recommend you go find that book. Topic number four was is uh, new California governor. Gavin Newsom's inaugural address, which he presented uh, earlier this week. And uh, new Governor Newsom had declared that Medi-Cal, which is California's government-funded healthcare program for poor people, Medi-Cal is not going to be expanded to cover illegal immigrants in the state of California. Hooray, more free stuff, right? And he also declared that the entire state of California is going to be a sanctuary state for illegal immigrants. And I found this piece discussing this on the Victory Girls blog, which I've recommended before. And I recommend again, victorygirlsblog.com. And of course, expanding uh, Medi-Cal and, ex- and offering sanctuary to all the illegal immigrants who want to come here. That's going to fix our immigration problem. You know, do you think we need a wall now, Nancy and Chuck? And who's going to pay for all this? Okay. medi is already a financial disaster. A huge expansion of the program can only happen in three ways. The first thing that you could do is narrow the scope of medical care covered by the program. Who believes that that's going to happen? Who believes they're going to rule out any particular types of procedures? I don't think they're going to do that. They'll probably expand it to cover all kinds of things that shouldn't be covered rather than narrow it down to essential care only. The other thing you can do is pay the medical care providers less money for the care that they offer. Medi-Cal is already the cheapest insurer around. No doctor or hospital wants Medi-Cal patients already because you lose money on every single patient. The reimbursement rates are incredibly low and the hospitals and the doctors cannot make a reasonable profit. They can't even cover expenses. Caring for Medi-Cal patients, you can't reduce the amount that you pay the medical providers any more than is already the case. Or three, and this is gonna be your winning position, of course, you can raise taxes on everyone else. Uh, That is, you can have the highest taxed populace in the country pay even more taxes to fund free stuff for people who aren't here legally. And that's just healthcare. What about the increased services that will be provided to all the sanctuary-sinking immigrants? Schools, housing, food. I do truly fear for our state, and I hope I'm able to evacuate here before it all collapses. And item five today is Justice Ginsburg. Has anybody seen Justice Ginsburg? After having cancerous growths removed from her lungs, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's recovery has been slow, and she has missed, as of today, three days of oral arguments at the Supreme Court. According to multiple news reports that I've read, the White House has quietly begun to prepare for the possibility that President Trump may soon need to appoint the third Supreme Court justice of his first term. If you thought the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation was nasty, the fight over a Ginsburg replacement will be absolutely brutal, as it would, hopefully, mean a 6-3 to three conservative majority on the Supreme Court for many years to come, even if Donald Trump is not a re-elected to a second term. Every day, I've said this before, every day I wake up and I am grateful that Hillary Clinton is not President of the United States. For the judicial appointments alone, I am so grateful for a President Trump. Literally everything he else Everything else he does for us as conservatives is gravy. And those are our five topics for today. Stay tuned after this short musical bump to learn more about our podcast, how you can be in touch with us, and how you can help us grow. enjoyed this episode of the American culture podcast if you're interested in learning more about our show we are on the web at american com. that's all one word with no spaces we're on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash american culture podcast no spaces we're on twitter at twitter.com slash culture pod a m c u l t u r e p o d That's our Twitter handle, amculturepod. We now have nearly 13,000 followers on Twitter. If you could give us a, a like or a follow or a retweet or a share on Facebook or Twitter, that would be awesome. Ours is still a new podcast, and you can really make a difference and help us grow our audience by subscribing to the American Culture Podcast on your Apple Podcast app, on Stitcher, on Google Play, or on whatever platform you found us. If you really want to be a superhero, you could go the extra mile and write us a five-star review. I would be very grateful. All content of the American Culture Podcast is copyrighted by Earl B. and AmericanCulturePodcast.com. The views and opinions of the host and any guests as expressed on the podcast are solely those of the speakers and not of any other person or organization. Thanks for sharing this time with me today. Let's meet back here again real soon.